Welcome to CTO Think, a podcast about leadership, product development, and tech decisions between two recovering chief technology officers. Here are your hosts, Don Vandemark and Randy Burgess. Hey, Don, what's up? Uh, This week, um, getting a lot of work done early in the week because tomorrow we head up to Gainesville um, to participate in the Gator 100 um, ceremonies, I guess. Um, Again, this is where uh, both construction specialties and Aspire EDU were uh, named to the top 100 uh, companies in terms of growth. Uh, that are owned by University of Florida alumni. So I'm yep. um, real excited for it. And, and uh, I, I just learned that my father, who owns construction specialties, is going to be having talking to a bunch of construction students tomorrow afternoon. So going to get up nice. there early for that. What's going on in your world? Uh, this week was really different. I ended up being a substitute teacher for a coding nice. Group. For a coding boot camp up in Evanston, Northwestern University. I actually, you know, I, we've talked about this before. I've done, I taught last year an entire cohort of a part, the part-time version of this program. So I have, you know, it was 29 people learning how to be developers, for like full stack developers, six months, um, three times a week, nights and weekends type of deal. And they, the school reached out to me um, last week and just said, hey, we need a substitute for the intro to JavaScript week. And so I kind of told the students when I met them, I'm like, I know that most substitute teachers will usually play a video for the entire time they're there, like the old high school days. But this is too vital. And I'm going to have to I'm going to I'm going to teach it like I did before. So I had to do a lot of preparation. Um, they changed some of the curriculum for the better um, between the last time I taught. And so I was there for, you know, 10 a.m. to um, 2.30, 3 o'clock, teaching introduction to JavaScript on Monday and Tuesday. So it sure. was, it's a big, it's like education of tech is so big in our industry because there's really not a formal accreditation process and, so many firms have the issue of churn amongst their senior staff, which really ne- requires them to hire a lot more juniors and work and then teach those folks. So I always, I love the a chance to go and teach, but it's always been the preparation time necessary is always the struggle because it feels like I'm using a much different side of my brain than my job needs to kind of do right. some of this. So, right. but that, it was a good experience and um, I hope the students, you know, at least have a good foundation for learning JavaScript as they move on in the program. Well, cool. So this week, um, this came up in a conversation we had on Slack and actually one of my students brought this up. This is where I really got kind of the subject for this week. Um, about hosting on like a cloud provider, managed hosting versus self-hosting. It's I'm, I'm curious on your thoughts, because I know we've talked before, you've actually mentioned it on a few episodes back, how you choose a hosting provider back in the, back in the day versus now, and then how you look at the trade-offs between how much you pay for a managed provider 
versus a like moving to your own kind of self-managed. And, I, and right now I'm talking more about the difference between, um, you know, a, a Linode, which is hosted servers, um, like uh, Amazon Web Services, Google Cloud versus a Heroku, which is more managed in between. Um, you know, what kind of decision making goes into that and how and what what choices do you think you typically make based on your experience? Right. So we um, when we started with Aspire EDU, we we went right away to Heroku. We when we put the thing together, the plan all along was we're going to put our our service on Heroku. We're going to essentially outsource our DevOps team, um, let Heroku manage a lot of that. And all we have to do is set everything up to work in Heroku. And then for the most part, we don't have to do a lot of DevOps stuff. Um, and that was an important consideration. We're, we're a small team. Um, adding a full-time DevOps person to do only that would have been significant. Um, and, and while it would have been nice to have in some instances, uh, would have been a waste of their talents and others because we, yep. we don't have enough that we do. Um, so that was the decision we made at that point. And I think the conversations changed even more lately. Um, you've got your hosting with Linode or DigitalOcean, those companies, you've got your, platforms as a service, which is Heroku, Azure, um, to some degree, AWS. And then nowadays you've got, which I, I find a very interesting term, it's, it's slightly oxymoronic. You've got your serverless, which is still, it's kind of an odd mix, but that's your Azure functions, your Amazon Lambda. It's, it's a very specific flavor of those um, cloud providers. So we have not dug into that yet. I don't think our, our service is at a point where we, we want to go that direction, but yeah. that's another consideration as well. What about you? Well, if, you, if I go back in time to how it started, and maybe some of our, maybe the listener can relate to some of these scenarios. Like I started working at um, a small financial firm called Horizon Cash Management, and they hosted everything from a desktop computer with a Windows, normal Windows operating system stuck in the middle of the office. And sure. I, and my, over the next 10 years, I had to go from a computer in the middle of the room that people could kick and knock over and accidentally step on a cord. And then I moved us into a closet in the office that we had to have air conditioning and do our best to make sure there's no moisture that's ever going to get in there as well as a professional kind of rack that we were loading servers on. But I had to spend my time maintaining things as well as anyone that I hired um, would also be spending time maintaining hardware to pushing all of the, like trying to remove those servers and push them out to cloud operations as the cloud, as cloud providers, service providers started becoming more uh, of an option. And at every step of the way, the less that we did on our side was financially and strategically beneficial. 
Um, I can't think of a scenario where we outsourced to a cloud provider um, something that I've regretted, like, oh, there was the trade-off was worse. We should have kept that in-house. And right. everyone's scenario is different. Um, we kind of kept things very basic because we outsourced a lot to a big, like we were a financial firm. We had a lot of, you know, SEC regulations that we had to follow based on who we dealt with. And I outsourced all that to another company or to the bank to say, like, you are the ones that keep us in compliance and we're going to pay a fee to have that. And the only thing that we had to do was really keep our records straight for audits and such. But right. I think now, and what my student asked me the other day was, so I'm going to, you know, they're, they're new and they're trying to build an app. And then why they're in the classes to build an app. And they're like, so should I use Heroku or should I use Amazon straight? Like, it doesn't make sense to me to pay Heroku to do something that I can do. And the way I broke it down for him at that, for that moment, that scenario was, how many hours do you need to build your product and how many hours do you think you're going to be on Amazon Web Services figuring out how to maintain an EC2 computer instance, like a server instance? Right. And then after you do those two estimations, tell me what the time value of your money is right at that point. And then ask, then see if at a development level, the free servers on Heroku are too costly and then ramp it up, ramp up to what you would pay for uh, the Postgres database hosting at what, 50 bucks a month for the professional. And a dyno is 25. You'll probably have at least one web worker. That's another 25. You're talking about roughly a hundred dollars a month at the beginning with Heroku. Now, if you can tell me that your time is so cheap that you'll never hit that hundred dot, like you'll spend all that time on AWS and you won't reach that hundred dollars and okay. Yeah. But I think everybody in development, if you're trying to do a full stack app is going to find that a hundred dollars, unless depending on how much cash you have on hand, a hundred dollars at the start is not a big price. Right. But the, but then if you go into the deeper question with a firm with an existing app on Heroku, that completely changes. That story changes. That's where I know you are now. Right. And so that's why, like, I guess I'm going to pitch back to you. When you've explored going to, like, leaving Heroku as a possibility, what are the factors that are weighing most on you for each of, for that decision? It's the same decision it was at the beginning. Yeah. How much of our DevOps work can we can we leave outside? Can we can we outsource? Um, we are in the middle of refactoring everything. Our biggest refactor at the moment is right now we have a single database for our system. Yeah. Um, and and it's it's a bit bulky. It so. There are, there are two problems with the way we have the application designed right now. It's the database is bulky because it holds all the information. And if somehow bad data gets past our, our checks yeah. and brings the database down, it doesn't bring it down for just that one client. It brings it down for all the clients. Yeah. 
Um, so that's really my focus is we're, we're work refactoring towards being able to split that database out so that if something causes the, a database to go down, it only affects that subset of clients. It doesn't affect everybody. Fortunately, we haven't had many of those. So yeah. it, it, it's, it's been a, a smaller issue, but this is all one of those things of always looking forward, always trying to make the, the system more resilient. So then uh, let me let me ask a different question then it right to me redundancy is kind of what you're striving for to some degree with that problem but what would you say is the biggest negative for you using a cloud provider like not necessarily just Heroku but any cloud provider versus doing it in house what do you, what do you feel is the biggest negative the biggest neck that it to me that that's an easy answer um, the biggest negative between cloud versus um, versus local is cost. You're you're paying for a lot of that. The second biggest one, I guess, to some degree, would be uh, a slight lack of control. But if mm-hmm. you don't have the people in house to fine tune that control, you're not going to miss that a whole lot. Yeah. So um, now, now I'll, I'll put it this. I will say this. The other thing is there are times and we've all seen it where Amazon Web Services East will yeah. go down. Yeah. Okay. Now we know that happens because everybody is down when that happens because everybody's on Amazon Web Services. So um, it's, that that is an issue, but I I would much rather trust in them solving their problems yeah. than me having a local server and it gets attacked and us having to solve it ourselves, bringing outside consultants, that yeah. sort of thing. I'd much rather just let Amazon solve the problem. Um, for the most part, if Amazon's got problems, a lot of people have problems and we're just one of those. Now, would we like to be more resilient? Sure. And and part of what we're doing will make it so that we're, we're better able to move. Yeah. If something significant went on with Amazon to where we had to get off, we'd have that ability to do it much easier than we do now. We still can now, yeah. but it's a major effort. So you, the two items that you talked about as, as in po- you know, negatives for cloud um, hosting, managed hosting was cost and lack of flexibility. And I understand the lack of flexibility. The cost factor is where I really, I guess, without you spouting numbers (laughs) um, related to cost, that's what everybody I hear when I talk to other people. When I talk to that student, he was like, but I think Heroku costs too much. And I hear other people say, well, you know, we want to get off of Heroku. Um, I'm part of a CTO network that, People have talked about getting away from Heroku because their dyno, their server costs were getting too high. And what I never hear is the story of after they switched, what were they saving? Because if people seem to leave out the DevOps person in the equation of their cost estimation. They look at the server cost that or the dyno cost on Heroku, but they don't ever talk about okay, if we're switching operations, we're probably, if you want that redundancy, if you want all of those services that Heroku is providing done for yourself, 
you kind of need a full-time or at least part-time DevOps person that's senior to run that stuff, um, at least in my, from my experience. And so then you're talking, like, I don't know how you're going to find that key person for less than 70K maybe a year. And it's an additional. Yeah, that, that'd be that'd be an that'd be an inexpensive. Yeah, good like I'm just trying. <laughs> I'm just trying to be nice on the cost. I think it, like I always, if I I always think of it as 100k, and I'm like, okay, if we're getting up there where our fees per year are around 100k with hosting, then I need, then I'm actually now in the realm of worrying about if I'm paying too much on a managed hosting level regardless of if it's um, Heroku or somewhere else. But I still, like, every time I, re- I, I talk to someone or read it, I'm, I'm, I always bring up, well, what is the engineer cost that you're going to have do that work? And they haven't thought about it. They haven't even brought that up as part of the equation. And I don't know if it's because they have a sunken cost idea that I've already got an employee, or they don't realize are you going to hand that off to a coder that has never worked in a Linux environment or something? Like I don't, that's the biggest divide or that's the biggest thing gap I've seen in the people talking about this, their system that way, because I've, I've known way more people that have taken their, their racks of servers that are in a co-location facility and then pushed that to AWS or push that to Google, Google cloud. And then they say, well, we don't need as many people working on it then. So I've, those folks obviously have had that, you know, that debate. And on the flip side is I don't know if the folks that ever are kind of looking at that Heroku bill are really understanding that Heroku has a team of people behind the scenes doing all that stuff. And that's what part of the fees are for versus you're just paying for the same server you could have on AWS, except now there's a markup to it. And I'm like, right. well, if you move it to AWS, every time I every time I put my hands into AWS, I have to deal with improve like kind of confusing but improving documentation over the last few years. Um, a huge ton of services that do change and update. And I find myself burning a lot of time versus on a managed provider. I can get some stuff launched like point and click and boom, I'm good to go. So going back to that cost question, are you putting in developer hour time or salary when you talk about the cost as an issue? Well, I think so. I'm, I'm going to take it away from what we're doing because we're not we're not necessarily doing our refactoring to get off Heroku. We're doing the number one reasons to split that database out. We may stay on Heroku after we're done. We'll just have 10 different database um, yeah. silos that, rather than one, yep. uh, which is going to be cheaper yep. um, in the end, we think, because we don't think 10 times whatever size we have will actually end up equaling what we have now because we've had to, we've had to, over by what we need yeah. um, because you can't really fine tune that. But I, I think you nailed it really when you said it's a sunk cost. So yeah. we've never had that DevOps cost um, as part of our structure. So if we were to make that decision, it would absolutely be front of mind as far as, okay, 
we're going to have to have somebody who's doing that work. Yeah. Um, I think when people, when companies go that direction, they probably already got a DevOps person in house. That person's responsible for setting up Heroku, for maintaining Heroku. And now you're talking about turning around and making them responsible for AWS. Yeah. Um, which they may or may not be capable of depending on their experience. Yep. Um, you were very kind um, when you were <laughs> describing Amazon Web Services. Um, <laughs> yeah, it, it, it's not, it, it's a, it's not user-friendly. Um, it may be dev op friendly. Yeah. It, it may be friendly if you know what you're doing. But I go in there and I'm like, okay, I, 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 I have to find something else because yes. there, the, 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 I've even looked at the documentation. I'm like, I still don't get this. We, we talked about the, the books I bought over, over the holidays. Yeah. Um, one of them was Amazon web services over a, a month of lunches, something, some, some title like that. So that that's me go pulling out a book that I'm going to go read not to be an Amazon web services expert, but just so that I can understand everything they've got going on there. Yeah. For the most part, I know the services Amazon provides. Yeah. You asked me to set one up. I'm like, Nope, I'm not doing it. I'm going to Heroku. I'm going to go stand up my own Linode. I'm going to go do something else because I don't want to mess with it. Yeah. The those service the service providers around the add-ons on on Heroku are essentially creating a, they're abstracting the complexity around what you sure. just complained about and I agree I agree with the complaint I think the difference between you and I is that I for the matter of work I had to do back when it was horrible documentation I had to learn a few of the services and then. Like figure them out. Now they are making efforts to improve the interface. It's been, in the last year. I was. I'll use S3, this file storage, as a better example because it was probably the one that most novice developers or novice DevOps folks touch on first. How do I store files in the cloud related to my application? And it was it was really hard to understand every permission and stuff that went into it. Now it's way more straightforward. And I was like, Oh, this, they're making this so that you could almost host your own Dropbox without, um, you know, without some of the complexity that was there before. But yeah, that's a big deal. I I do, I do sympathize with that feeling of, I just want to get a transcoder going. I just want to transcode a video into multiple web file formats and how much work it took for me to do back in the day to get that process going. Um, now, the the flip side is that after I got it going, that thing's been running for four years, and I really haven't changed it at all. It's still oh running. sure. So, to Amazon's credit, can, the stability of their platform in the la- despite all the changes around it has been really really good. Um, I don't know if you've ever looked at the Google cloud stuff, what your opinion of that would be. I have not dug into that as much as I have dug into Amazon web services. So yeah. I can't, I can't speak to it all that much. Um, Azure is the same way when uh, mm-hmm. a couple of years ago at a different place, we were, we were starting to dig in on a bunch of Microsoft stuff. So we, 
we lightly touched on Azure, but we never got to, to the depth to where I actually understood um, how it compared. Yeah. Well, the I will give you a suggestion, even though you're not asking for it, <laughs> which is probably what else is new. What else is new? Um, what I've done in the past when I had a project that no one on my team knew how to do, and I didn't know how to do it, and the idea was I didn't really want to hire someone full time to do it. I didn't think it was that complex. I just needed someone to guide. I would hire a consultant. And I would, let, let's say you want to, let's pull something out. You want to do um, SMS um, text messages through the Google notification system or something like that. Sure. And I would go and find a consultant that said, I, you know, we're professionals. We get these kind of things set up on Amazon Web Services, DevOps. And then I would, part of my pitch, my requirement to them is, you are going, I'm going to pay you your rate to get this project done, but you have to do it while pairing with me. Right. And then they would walk me through. And every time I've done that, there's a little surprise on the consultant's part that, hey, someone that's hiring me cares to even see me do this. But they always, like, I can't remember a time, and I've only done it maybe three times as a, um, in a management role, but every time that person was over-enthusiastic about teaching me what I needed to know, we were pairing sure. during it. And so I saw the work they were doing and they knew that they were basically working their way out of that project. They weren't going to come, I wasn't going to come back to them for it, but they also knew I would go back to them for another related item if I needed it. And that was, that it worked out really well. So the other flip side would be that that consultant could teach one someone else on your team too. In this case, it was just me. Right. But that's how I always approach outsourcing of consulting for that type of thing. And it's always worked out well where I got, I, I developed skills to bring it in-house, but I started out with an external provider that would at least set me up correctly and then teach me how to do it again and then maintain it. So that's the, that's the advice I would give. <laughs> yeah. You're, it, it, that actually fits something we're doing at Aspire EDU. Um, we are looking into Kubernetes oh, yeah. um, a, as a way to go. And one of the things we're evaluating is um, our lead developer has been digging in on Kubernetes and found this company um, that A, has a Kubernetes platform, um, and B, after we talked to them about what we needed, they're like, yeah, I don't know that you need our platform, but the other thing we do is we do consulting for setting up of Kubernetes and making sure your, your setup is proper and that it does everything you want and mm -hmm. will teach you along the way. So th that's absolutely a direction we're going. And it's not going to be an expensive but yeah. it's going to be an investment that will be worth it um, in in the knowledge transferred. Yep. So then switching away from our existing use of Heroku for our clients and companies, 
I'm just I'm a little curious about what you've seen on the on the horizon for hosting, um, whether it's the serverless route with the Lambda on AWS, whether it's what we use for the CTO Think website, which is Netlify, and then right. and then I think you and I were talking earlier, and you mentioned a new one that maybe West Boss, um, who by the way is a really great podcast that other folks should listen to. Um, I like he mentioned one that I haven't heard of. So I don't know. How are you approaching hosting now? Heroku is more of a Ruby and Python based. I mean, they can host Node. I've hosted Node stuff on there, but um, I haven't really delved, dove that much into the Node based hosting or the JavaScript host. What, what are you looking for when you look at managed hosting in that space? Sure. So, so that is, that's, Right where we were talking about my, my side project last week. Yeah. Um, it's up and running at this point, but it's up and running in my dev environment off my, my computer. Yeah. Um, I need to get it off my computer and, and hosted. So um, you're right. It, it can be done on Heroku. It's, it's probably not, or it, at least it wasn't their sweet spot. With the popularity of Node, yeah. I'm sure they're <clears throat> very good at it. Yep. Um, but it may be overkill. Um, it's certainly probably overkill for what I need mm-hmm. uh, because this little side project I built is not going to have thousands of users. If it has a hundred users, I'll be shocked. Um, so I can keep it somewhat small. So I was I was leaning towards I was leaning towards just spinning up a, a, a Linode or DigitalOcean server yeah. and just making sure it ran there. Because if I can do it on my development environment, I can certainly do it there. I'm not, it's not, it doesn't have to be enterprise sturdy. Um, it, it, there, there are things I can do to keep the, the DevOps uh, effort down. But you're, you're asking about what's in the future. This one I'm looking at is, is called Now. And it's mm-hmm. just global deployments. It's by uh, Zeit, I believe. Z-E-I-T is the name of the company. Um, and it is, as far as I can tell, it says it's just real-time global deployments. But I have a feeling it's Node-flavored. Um, it's uh, certainly aiming for that. Yeah. Uh, it, you can probably stand up other things. Um, but that's certainly uh, where I think its strengths are. Yep. And it, it's just a command line. I guess, I guess Heroku is just a command line deploy too, but this looks like it's even simpler than, than, than what you do on the command line Heroku. Yeah. Um, future. Yes. I, I, I think serverless is in the discussion of the future. Serverless is not the answer mm-hmm. everywhere. Yeah. Um, and that's, that's just where you're, uh, I'll say you're piecing together your services a la carte almost. Um, And again, as that matures, Azure Functions, Amazon Lambda, they're all going to make that easier to just slap in whatever service you need. I mean, I kind of feel like serverless is a joke buzzword because when you look at managing a server versus a dyno in Heroku, it's serverless as well. Like the, it's not, yes, agreed. I just, I don't do anything that a DevOps person does on a EC2 server. Like on, I just kind of tell Heroku, Hey, give me an extra one. Oh, like ramp it down. Like I, I don't do anything there. So the, right. I feel like it's a buzzword that 
you're you are using a server by the way it's just that you don't you know anything about where it is or or you don't even care about ramping it up because i guess in theory the uh provider uh, is doing that for you i'll go a step further um, and and not to denigrate serverless because it, it's still growing and still uh, I'm sure it works great. Again, yeah. have not have not deployed anything. And you say it's no different. You're still using a server. Not only are you still using a server, you're actually using multiple <laughs> yes. servers. You're using a lot more than what you were before, just yeah. a lot smaller. Yeah. So you have more points of failure. Now they would argue that. Yes, but because you did it that way, it's it's more failover. It has more failovers because you can simply just flip one of those that failed to something else, and and that's absolutely true. Um, but again, back to Heroku. Yeah, something happens. I've got Heroku's engineers working on it, who are all really intelligent people. Yep, and I've got likely Amazon's engineers working on it too. Yeah, um, because it's likely a problem with Amazon as well as Heroku. Yep. So, um, yeah, I, I, I want to see the serverless grow and you and I will probably someday in the next year do some project where we're like, okay, let's just go build something serverless just to see what it's like. Yeah. Um, but, but yeah, that, I, I think that's the current flavor of the future. And we'll have to see what the next flavor of the future is. I, these things always go in. Yeah cycles they seem um you always you you have your for forever there was server client and then it went back to one and then it goes back to server client yeah. it, it always expands and contracts it seems every 10 15 years or so well i'm not going back to windows desktop on in the middle of the room i guarantee you that cycle for me is done never going back but but i would argue i would argue <laughs> that you you've just shifted that. Yes. Okay. You've just moved that server from your basement to Heroku's basement. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. That's still the same concept. And that's where the serverless is. Okay. That's a little different um, than, than just a single server. Yeah. So um, that, that's what I would argue there. All right. Uh, anything else that you think is important to the, server hosting or the hosting question overall not not without digging into deep deep technical stuff yeah um i i think we've we've hit it at a good level um there's there's a lot uh, there's a lot to dive into um but but that's that's left as a l exercise for the listener yep all right <laughs> any uh, let's go with recommended reads for this week Okay, so um, my recommended pick for this week, yep. um, I'm gonna I'm gonna go off of books um, for this week, just because I, I can always bring a book. Yeah. Um, up. But what what I'm gonna go to this week is I'm going to put out there the uh, the Inc. Five Thousand list. Mm. So the Inc. Five Thousand list for those who aren't aware is. Uh, a list pulled together by Inc. Magazine of the fastest growing companies um, in America. Yeah. It, I, it is it is America. It's not world-based. I, I believe they've got a separate one for that. Um, and it's I think it's really important to get your business recognized when you're doing great. Yeah. Um, now, this is revenue growth. 
this is nothing there. There's not a single question about profit yeah. in the whole application process. And there are minimum requirements. You have to be making two million in revenue. Mm-hmm. Um, and and you had to have been started by a certain point. And in order to qualify, you're going to have to show something north of 50% growth over that time, which if you're growing, you can probably get there. Yeah. Um, a couple of years ago, Inc. was just the Inc. 500. They've expanded it to 5,000. They're like, oh, we'll just, we'll get everybody involved. Yeah. Um, and, and that's, we, we currently are going, getting, getting recognized for the Gator 100. Next year, we're going to go out there and get, try and get on the Inc. 5,000. Nice. But this, um, this, the application deadline is, I believe, in April sometime, April 30th. So plenty of time, but certainly something to start thinking about. Make sure you've got $2 million in revenue um, over t- in 2017, and then apply and, and get on the list, get recognized. So that's, that's my uh, pick for the week. I got a ways to go before I get on that <laughs> list. <laughs> um. I'm going to also, I guess we shouldn't even call it recommended reads, recommended picks, because I'm not picking anything to read either. Um, I'm actually going to recommend a gentleman by the name of Steven Greider. Um, I have been watching his video tutorials on technology for the last couple of years. Pretty much everything that I know he has produced is on Udemy, or you've pronounced it differently than I do, but U-D-E-M-Y.com. And I feel like he does an excellent job taking a novice. And this kind of goes into my experience with teaching as well. He holds the hand of the novice developer, whether it's you're an experienced developer and it's a new technology or you are brand new to coding. And he talks to you about what you're building and why. And he talks to you about he talks to you in a very pair, like in a way that you're pairing with him and you're very comfortable with he'll mess, make a mistake, not a big deal. Um, he'll bring up things that people may hear about and he'll kind of shrug it off as it's not that important to be concerned with. And he'll bring up issues that he's like, you know, I don't totally agree with this point, but I'm going to show it to you anyway. And you feel that he really understands what the learning a person trying to learn tech it needs to know and then he takes you into the actual production of the code to build something and i've used him for a lot of react based stuff react native um graphql is what i've been doing lately he's got a really right. wide range of technologies that he's teaching and i feel like for anyone that is either they want their team to watch quality videos or tutorials to learn things I feel like some of the stuff he teaches is better than you would get in a group classroom setting because sure. it's so personable and so well done and thorough. So um, I just, I'm going to put this both of our links in the show notes um, regarding this stuff. But if folks are out there looking for a way to learn tech and they want to do it in a home setting and have the time to kind of focus and listen to someone. I don't, sometimes I don't even code alongside him. I just watch what he's doing. And I think he's just one of the best tutorial producers out there without a shred of um, kind of vanity about him and how he presents. So I think it's a really good pick for folks. Sure. Well, cool. 
Cool. All right. Well, it's good talking to you. I think we should aim to talk next time. That sounds good. Thank you. Later. See you soon. Thanks for listening to the CTO Think Podcast. Show notes and previous episodes can be found on our website at ctothink.com. Reviews on Apple iTunes are always appreciated and help promote the show. Patreon contributions help us to produce episode transcripts, which allow people that are deaf or hard of hearing to access the show. If you have feedback, ideas, or want to be a guest, please email us at hello at ctothink.com. Show music is Dumpster Dive by Mark Wallach, licensed by premiumbeat.com. Voiceover work by meganvoices.com. You'll hear from us next week. Thank you.